0: Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Thursday afternoon up and down the West Coast from our studios in San Diego. We welcome you to Hacksaw's Headlines, our weekly podcast. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley. Headed towards Super Bowl weekend, John, are you ready for some football?
1: (laughs) I mean, this is one of the greatest times of the year. We got the Super Bowl coming up, and we were just talking about all the NBA trade deadlines and the Padres news. I mean, there's just so much going on right now. But the Super Bowl is the prime story, and
0: yeah, a matchup of two number one teams. Before we start, and we do have a lot of topics on the table, as John just alluded to. John, tell everybody about the Fans Forum, how they can get involved at the end of our podcast today. Tell them how they can subscribe for all the new things that we are offering on Hacksaw's Headlines.
1: Okay, so um, yeah, if you want to get involved in the Fans Forum, maybe you got a take on the Super Bowl that you want to share with Hacksaw, just type in your question or comment on the uh, live stream on either Facebook or on YouTube. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. And be sure to subscribe. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also, you can subscribe on YouTube and click on that bell. You get the updates. And, and guess what? We got Hacksaw. You're now on TikTok and you're on Instagram too. So you know subscribe, follow, like,
0: and share wherever you can. And check my website for my Super Bowl preview, but it'll be coming tonight. I write on the website every day, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. If I were on the radio Here's what's going on in the world of sports. Here's what Lee Hamilton and John Riley think. Let's start Super Bowl Sunday. Okay, so we've got two great quarterbacks, lots of
1: great defenses and great receivers, but really it's the head coaches that are the most intriguing. You've got the innovator in Andy Reid and one of his pupils from a number of
0: years ago. I mean, this is going to be really interesting. Let's talk about the coaches first of all. Andy Reid against Nick Sirianni. you got the teacher. You got the pupil, you got the coaching legend versus pretty much the raw rookie. Andy Reid, creative, conservative against a guy who's brash and loud. You can't be more polar opposites than Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni are as it relates to the deportment on the sidelines. Andy Reid's had a spectacular career, first with Philadelphia, now with Kansas City. Nick Sirianni has really served very well as key assistant coach. A number of different places has learned on the job and has put this thing in place. And they both arrived from opposite street corners. Andy Reid's career record is 268 and 154. 24 years as a head coach. One ring in the Super Bowl now for the fourth time over the course of his career. Dynamic guy and his ability to create X's and O's that fit what he has on the field. Nick Sirianni, he's 25 and 12 in two years as the head coach of the Eagles. This guy used to be here. He was on Mike McCoy's staff as a young assistant coach with the San Diego Chargers, and he was a quarterback coach, and really learned quickly. Then he went and he worked in Kansas City for Todd Haley. Todd Haley at one point was a real bright light offensive coordinator, became head coach of the kansas city chiefs and then sirianni wound up in indianapolis with frank reich whom he was with in san diego and learned a lot more about the passing game these guys just come very from very opposite directions sirianni was a college wide receiver at division three mount union in ohio andy reed was a legendary offensive lineman one of the hogs at byu these guys are just mystical so we'll, that's one storyline. Let's go to the next storyline because we got all types of different matchups here that we want to discuss. We'll talk about the quarterbacks, John, as you just mentioned. Uh, you got Patrick Mahomes, who I think is on a career path to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that's something to say after just five years in the league you got Jalen Hurts, who in two years has made himself not just a running quarterback, but has made himself a very dangerous and accurate down-the-field thrower. Their statistics are unrivaled. What these guys have accomplished this year is phenomenal. Going into Super Bowl Sunday afternoon, Patrick Mahomes this year has thrown for 5,714 yards. 45 touchdown passes. There's not a pass he won't try to make. And, and now he's close to 100% healthy. It will be interesting to see how much he moves the pocket. Because when he is able to create out of the tackle the tackle box, he's even much more dangerous than he normally is. Uh, he's 10-3 and three in postseason. The most important time of the year, this guy ratchets it up another level his career record is 74 and 19 he's dynamic no doubt he's a dynamite quarterback Jalen Hurts 4,700 all-purpose yards this year throwing and running he's accounted for 47 touchdowns this season which is a phenomenal statistic for a young quarterback this guy is 16 and one this season you take out the two games he was injured that they lost, 16-1 and one, when everybody's gunning for him. And he's grown. When he came out of Oklahoma, he was more a runner than he was an accomplished thrower. Now he's become very accurate, very dangerous. And his ability to run, and they do design runs for him, makes him scary to defend because he's not in the pocket just looking to throw. He'll run quarterback draws. He'll run, run pass options. He'll run options off the edge. A dynamic, dynamic athlete. So the quarterback matchup, to me, is just spectacular. Let's talk about the guys they're going to throw to. Okay. Travis Kelsey, Hall of Famer. Nobody mentions his name in the likes of Kellen Winslow or the great other tight ends in the history of the National Football League. Kelsey's got 134 catches this season, John. Just a staggering statistic. He's got 941 receptions in the course of his career. Nobody mentions him with the superstars of yesteryear. He's kind of recreated redesigned the tight end position, got 84 touchdown catches. Philadelphia, they come at you with a lot of different guys. That's Devontae Smith, the former Heisman Trophy winner. He's backed up by A.J. Brown, who they got in a trade from Tennessee. And those two guys have just been electric. Devontae's got 105 catches this season, and A.J. Brown's got 95 receptions. And then they throw to their tight end. Dallas Godert, he's got 65 catches. So when Jalen Hurts starts to go through his progressions, Choice A, choice B, choice C, and they all kill you. And then, by the way, they do run the ball. We haven't talked defense. Defense is going to play a key role in the Super Bowl game. Let's talk about Chris Jones. Let's talk about Fletcher Cox. Let's talk about the dynamics of what these guys do. Fletcher Jones, or I should say Chris Jones, best defensive tackle hyphen defensive end that's out there. We'll just talk about the situation Jones, 17 sacks this season. What a load. I don't think I've ever seen anybody as big be as good as he is at 6'6", 298. And he was kind of a mid-round draft pick by Kansas City. Coming out of Ole Miss, he was not a marquee guy. Fletcher Cox has been there for a long time. 67 quarterback sacks for the Eagles, 6'4", 310. And, of course, the statistics. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks Philadelphia's got 78 quarterback sacks this season, 31 takeaways. Kansas City, I tell you, they, they send a lot of different guys. They got 62 sacks amongst all their pass rushers, and they got 24 takeaways. So defense, to me, is going to be a critical part of the equation. And then let's talk about the guys that put these organizations together. We'll talk about the general managers. These are not household names by any stretch of the imagination. Brett Veach at Kansas City. We asked the question way back on Labor Day weekend, what will life be like after Tyreek Hill in Kansas City? Well, life's turned out pretty good because they took all the money they could not pay Tyreek Hill and they spread it across the table and they went out and got people. I mean, they went out and got J.J. Schuster-Smith, the ex-USC star. He's become not only an accomplished receiver, but he's a big body blocker down the field. A very dangerous guy. And then they went out and got Marcus Scantling. Scantling, it took him a while to get and be an established NFL receiver in Green Bay. Scantling has been a, a game changer there in Kansas City. And on top of that, they got 12 guys from the draft that are playing this season. What a job Veach has done. Nobody knew who Isaac Pacheco was. He was a quarterback in college, and they've made him a tough guy running back. And they went into the marketplace, and they got Trent McDuffie, very good cornerback, University of Washington. He started from the minute he got there in training camp. And George this pass rusher, who's the third name nobody ever talks about in Kansas City's pass rush. That's a really good team that Brett Veach has given to Andy Reid. Howie Roseman, well, he's the one that cited and drafted Jalen Hurts. Thumbs up to him. But what he did in this offseason, John, they went out and they got Hassan Riddick. Stole him from the Arizona Cardinals on a small money free agent contract. He's got 16 quarterback sacks. He's just an absolutely phenomenal off-the-edge guy and a tough guy on top of it. They went out and they fixed the back end. They got Darius Slay, who was a really good player on a bunch of bad Detroit teams. He's having a superb season at cornerback and then they went out and got James Bradbury who'd been cut, cut by the Giants, didn't want him, couldn't play. He's evolved into a really trustworthy cornerback. So these guys, the general managers, never get any accolades, but they should, for what they've done in terms of putting the finishing touches on the rosters and what they have given Sirianni, the head coach in Philly, and the legendary Andy Reid in Kansas City. I threw a lot of data at you, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> uh, the bottom line is two great quarterbacks, two tremendously creative head coaches. And defenses are coming to get your guy and what the hell you're going to do about it. Give me your reaction to the plethora of information I've just laid at your front door. I know. Well,
1: you that's right off
0: the, the high-speed
1: sports wire right here, I'll <laughs> tell you. But, uh, you know, we kind of know a lot about the stars on the Kansas City Chiefs team because they've been there in the playoffs every year, where with Philadelphia, you know, they, they weren't around much the last couple of years. I'm starting to learn more about the team, more about the players. Jalen Hurts really impresses me. The more I learn about him, the more I learn about his backstory and the different things he's had to go through, I think is just tremendous. But I'm curious on your take is I know you're a big fan of Andy Reid. What do you think he's cooking up for this Super Bowl? Do you think he's got some crazy plays um, designed that we're going to see on Sunday?
0: I think we're going to see Sunday afternoon formations that we have never seen. I think they're both going to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't stun me to see them line up Kelsey as a, as a running back, Pacheco as a wide receiver, McKinnon, who's become a really trustworthy third down guy, as a slot guy. And I have no doubt that Kansas City's going to move the pieces around to try to create confusion in the Philadelphia defense. Also think that you're going to see tempo because the one way to slow down pass rush is go snap, snap, snap at the line of scrimmage, call the play at the line of scrimmage. And I don't think crowd noise is going to be as bad at the, in the Super Bowl. It's an event. It's not a home crowd. So I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to run his stuff. And in terms of Philadelphia, they're just going to line them up and they're going to knock them off the line of scrimmage because that's how Philadelphia plays. They do that with their offensive line. Guys that you, hardly anybody knows. They have an Australian rugby Left tackle who's become a star. Awesome. Nobody knows him. They got Landon <laughs> Dickerson. They got Lane Johnson, who I think is one of the best offensive linemen, and gets no accolades. Uh, so Philadelphia is big and burly, and they're going to just push. And then you got Hertz and all the dynamics and all the people. The one, the one difference is that Philadelphia will line them up and knock you off like bowling pins at the line of scrimmage so Miles Sanders and those other two guys can run the football. Sanders has over 1,600 yards rushing. Nobody talks about him. So I I think you'll see some real creative juice from Kansas City. And I think Philadelphia is just going to be South Philadelphia street tough in how they're going to approach the football and defensively. Where is Chris Jones? How are you going to block him? Where's Fletcher Cox? Where is Riddick coming from? How are you going to block them? These quarterbacks are going to be under siege.
1: Yeah. And then you still have the two Kelsey brothers, you know? So what's going to happen on Thanksgiving next year with these two guys? And I saw a picture of Mama Kelsey. She's got a jacket with green on one side, red on the other. It's like, you know, the NOLA family from the World Series or the National League Championship Series.
0: Somebody is going to be leaning across the table on Thanksgiving Day in the Kelsey household. Um Here's my ring. My Super Bowl ring, please pass the stuff in.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this is just so many interesting stories here. And, you know, the Super Bowl is always a spectacle. I mean, what do you, what do, you do for the Super Bowl? Do you get together with friends and family, or what, what, what do you usually have planned?
0: I've gone to cul-de-sac parties in my neighborhood in Rancho Bernardo, but I like to watch the game. I don't need 26 people talking, laughing, drinking in front of me. So I usually go home right before kickoff, watch it, go then go back at halftime mm-hmm. and have my second round of food and drinks. But uh, I I just I like I like to watch formations. I obviously like to see the mismatches and like I say the creative juice that we get from Andy Reed will be worth watching mm-hmm. and the absolute Damn it. Toughness. We're going to get from Philadelphia. We're going to see that, too.
1: It's going to be great. And, and you know, and the, the pregame, you know, they start at what, like eight in the morning, you know, to get this thing going. And there's so much action. All the celebrities. We're going to have Rihanna, right, for the Super Bowl. So and this is going to be pretty fun. It's going to be a great
0: day. And you got your separate uh, pad out there that you'll be keeping track of the commercials as yeah. we go along. Too. OK, before we move on to other topics, pick em, pal. Pick'em,
1: pal. Um, Okay, so we got to talk about Roger Goodell because there's a lot of controversy going on in the league with all of these concussions. I mean, both of these quarterbacks have been hurt earlier this year. They've gone through their trials and tribulations. We've got Tua with the concussion problems in in Miami. What is Goodell doing to address this problem?
0: Well, he got got firestormed with questions. Uh, The commissioner's weekly or annual press conference, he really got bombarded with questions. He had some unique answers, though. Uh, first item first, you talked about Tua. 32 different quarterbacks had major injuries this season in the league. Some of the teams had to go through four quarterbacks. <laughs> it's just the nature of the game. The concussion number was up, John. It was 149 concussions this year, up from 122 last year. However, Goodell's responses they have changed the protocol so much that there's so much in-depth evaluation if a player gets dinged. They're now likely to find even more concussions just because of their way of approaching it. So I, I buy what the league says, uh, and, and even in the midst of the, the TUA controversy, they changed the structure of how many doctors, the independent neurosurgeons, would have access to the data of a player who got dinged. So I, therefore, I think the concussion number goes up because I I do buy what the league says, their ability to investigate the players now is better than it was three years ago, five years ago, obviously, 10 to 20 years ago. That That's an item. Uh, Goodell also got bombarded with questions about minority hiring. Uh, there are still two head coaching jobs that are open, won't be filled till after the Super Bowl next week. Arizona, Indianapolis, there are currently six minority head coaches, which is about the max it's been. We could get one or two more. There have been an increase in the number of offensive and defensive coordinators who are minorities, notably African-Americans. So I think the league has made some progress there in the whole interview protocols for every position. John, if you own an NFL team and you're going to hire a new president, you can interview whom you want, but you will interview some significant minorities the league will recommend. And that holds true for general managers. That holds true for head coaches, in any of the three coordinator positions, you must interview multiple minorities that the league has recommended or that you want to bring into the mix for conversation. So I think the league has, has, has done a decent job. Interesting story that really nobody paid any attention to. Uh, you know, the NFL, quote, at the end of the season, flexes the TV schedule. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll take certain games and say, this is going to be our featured game this weekend. It might be on a Sunday night game, etc. They're going to start that for Monday night football. Uh, so the league will have the ability at the back half of the schedule to say we're taking that game out and we're putting a marquee game in on Monday night. It's all about TV ratings. And next year they're going to evaluate maybe doing it the same thing with the Thursday package. Uh, Amazon had the Thursday package this year. Numbers were not really great, but the demographics hit the jackpot. Their younger demographics they wanted they wanted young viewers. 18 to 25, 18 to 34 those numbers were really higher but because it's subscription not on free TV they did not get the kind of viewership mass viewership numbers uh, that they'd had in the past so that that's where the league is right now but his press conference was kind of was kind of steamy a lot of heated questions about minority hiring a little bit about concussions but I, I think the league's doing a good job. Your reaction? Well, it, you know, it's
1: interesting that the young demographic was on Amazon because it's all going streaming. I mean, that's where everything is going. And, uh, you know, us old coots, we're watching it still on the cable uh, channels. But um, I want to go back to the concussion issue because I was listening to an interview on CNN that Chris Wallace did with Terry Bradshaw. Yes. And it was very interesting. And he talked about how, you know, he he got knocked around a lot. He blacked out on a lot of things. He knew he had some concussions, but there was a lot more that happened. And they asked him, is the NFL, is pro football a very dangerous sport? And Bradshaw paused and he said, it's dangerous, but I wouldn't say it's too dangerous. But you know, Bradshaw maybe might
0: be missing a few marbles in his head too. So what it's do you think? interesting. He sometimes the stuff that comes out of his mouth is a little sideways, and you say, "Ooh, where'd that opinion come from?" But <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, when he played and started in the '70s into the '80s, is a very different game. It was not policed very well as it relates to the violent hits. I mean, I was in Cleveland when he got turned upside down and smashed on his neck by Brown's defensive end Joe Jones, and was a really bad situation. Uh, but but I th- I think the league has taken tremendous strides forward, and, and it's easy to second guess and it's easy to be critical until you realize where they've come from and what they do behind the scenes to protect the players. And I'd I would say the bulk of the players now are of the opinion. We are being taken care of to the best of the league's ability, but it is a big game, a fast game, a violent game, a physical game. So you're going to get guys, but uh, who get get dinged? Um, the, you know, the bigger issue is: What do these guys wake up when they're 50 years old, and do they have CTE? Do they have memory loss problems? That that's that 's down road still to be determined, but I think the league is doing everything it humanly can do with its medical people and I could not have said that fifteen years ago. I could not have said that prior to the concussion lawsuit and the settlement. I think the league 's doing a lot a lot of positive things on go on go we go one more uh, football topic here. the quarterback yeah he 's in the news again, so Tom Brady
1: retired. But he seems like he never leaves the zeitgeist. You know, he's always in the media, always at the tip of everyone's tongue. And now we're going back to New England with Bill
0: Belichick. What's going on here? Well, Tom Brady has has retired. Tom Brady then followed it up with the announcement he is not going to work for Fox in 2023. He's taking the whole year off away from football. And he says, I will start Whatever my job is, whether it's analyst or whether it's in studio, he will start in 2024. Everybody's had opinions about Tom Brady. We talked about it extensively on our Monday bonus podcast. Interesting. Brady Brady does his own private podcast. He had Bill Belichick on as his first guest since he retired. Oh, it was wow. an amazing conversation. I think it went 35 minutes. And at the end, Belichick said, I must tell you this, because everybody's wanted to get access to Belichick. What do you think about Brady's career, et cetera? And he just he looked at Tom and said, I want to tell you this. You're the greatest player ever in the NFL, and you've had the greatest career of anybody in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That's all he needed to say. They're going to bring him back to Foxborough, maybe this coming year. They're going <laughs> to retire uniform number 12, and then off, off they go. So it was interesting, because Belichick, you know he's just evasive all the time and he he speaks in gray clouds you never know what the hell he's talking about or what his intent is but greatest player Greatest career ever. Yeah,
1: and it's good on him to say that because a lot of people, we, we even questioned if Brady wasn't in Fox Pro would Belichick even still have a job? You
0: Belichick know? is sub 500 without Tom Brady throwing the football on his team.
1: Right. So good on Bill to recognize Brady and just say it plain like that because he is. he's the, He's the greatest of all time
0: we got a ton of other topics on the table to talk about. Before we do, John, remind everybody about Fans Forum, where we have now expanded our podcast, and also how they can subscribe.
1: Okay, so you can get involved on the Fans Forum. we already got a couple of people that are lining up in the queue. If you got to take a question, maybe a Super Bowl question for Hacksaw, type it in the live stream on either Facebook or YouTube. We'll get to you at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines in the Fans Forum segment. Be sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all the popular audio-only podcast platforms. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton is there and on YouTube. Click on the subscribe, click on the bell, get the updates, like, share, follow, We, I mean everything, you know, just
0: get involved. We invite you to be part of the crew. Yeah, this thing is really blowing up because of you people. One other note, if you like sports and you must, you'll like my website. Please take a look at it. It's all written. It's a ton of information every day. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. From football. On we go to basketball. Holy cow, what a 48 hours we've had in the NBA. It's been incredible. I mean,
1: you were just saying you were in the shower and then, like, there were four trades by the time you came out of it. So it's been bananas. And the Westbrook rumors we've been talking about for months, and finally he gets traded. So I I really want to hear your breakdown of this trade because
0: this has major implications for the Lakers. Well, it's got major implications because the Lakers now have spent – all their assets in the future, the Lakers make the three way trade with Utah and Minnesota. The Lakers trade Westbrook. The, the last thing we saw about Westbrook was a blow up on the court the other night with Darvin Han and with one of assistants Phil Handy. him sitting on the bench pouting. Lakers are twenty five and thirty. They trade Westbrook. he's gone. They trade a future number one draft pick. they're gone. They deal two of their younger fringe forwards. They're gone. Westbrook goes to Utah. Minnesota sends D'Angelo Russell, who used to be here, was a high number one pick that the Lakers gave up on. D'Angelo Russell comes back here as a rental for the final half of the season before he becomes a free agent player. So at the end of the day, the Lakers are still 13th in the NBA West. I don't know that getting whom they got D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, a three point shooter, and a backup center Jared Vanderbilt, whether that propels them back into the playoffs. And even if they get into the playoffs, they're still in the play in game. Teams seven, eight, nine, and ten have to have a one game before to see who qualifies to move on. I just don't know that they're a team that can go deep in the playoffs because they're supporting cast. It's I'm sorry, John, it's like moving the chairs on the Titanic. Instead mm-hmm. of putting them over here, we'll put them over here. But the ship's going down. Um, the whole Westbrook thing turned out to just be a, a bad experience. But the whole operation of the Laker franchise under Jeannie Buss has turned into a bad operation. I mean, yes, they got LeBron, and yes, they got Anthony Davis, but they got nothing around them. And now they have no assets going forward because all their picks— or gone, and they've taken on all this additional salary. That's my response. Good riddance to Westbrook. He's just no longer the player he was at Oklahoma City. Utah may buy him out, um, but it, I guess it surprises me that that was the marquee trade and who they got back. D'Angelo Russell was here before, and you didn't like him. Now you bring him back, and he's, he's a half-year rental because he's a free agent at the end of the season. Well, D'Angelo Russell, I
1: think, got into trouble when he was in the Lakers um, clubhouse because he was videotaping people talking about the women they were dating. Wow. And that caused a big problem, a lot of bad chemistry. Now he's back with the Lakers. So this is, this is difficult. But the Lakers, we talked about, they only had two number ones. Now one of them is gone. So... If these trades bomb for the Lakers, they're going to be at the bottom of the West Division or the Western Conference for the rest of the decade.
0: Yeah. The only only saving grace would be if guys retire. If LeBron plays 2 and then leaves, they'll have some salary cap space. But they have no number ones till 2029. Do you know how far down the road that is? You need binoculars to see 2029. So I don't I don't like that deal at all. Uh, it was one of a number of trades that they made during the course of the day. Okay, now, Westbrook drew all the attention here, but do you think it's bad in L.A.? <laughs> about Brooklyn? What do you think it's like to be with the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, can you say five-alarm fire? Let's talk about what just happened there. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, they, first they assembled this big three, right? It was Durant. Kyrie, and at the time it was Harden, and then Harden gets dished to Philly, and now the, net, the other two guys, they're suddenly in the news last night. Well, Kyrie
0: Irving gets traded to Dallas. Uh, he walks out the door in Brooklyn after leaving behind wreckage. This guy is tremendously talented. This guy has a tremendous problem on and off the court. He has now gone from Cleveland that got rid of him because he couldn't get along with King James. To Boston, which saw enough to let him go. To Brooklyn, where he created such chaos, they dumped him, despite the fact he's averaging 27 points per game. So Kyrie Irving goes to the Dallas Mavericks in a multiplayer package that involves draft picks, et cetera. The guy is chronically unhappy all the time. the The, the guy played half the schedule in Brooklyn for three-plus years. He was the one that took a leave of absence twice his first year there because he was mentally tired of playing basketball. He's the one that refused to have the vaccine and missed more than half the season during the pandemic and gave up 21 million of his contract because I don't agree with that. He's the one that went on social media and did the whole anti-Semitic thing and got himself suspended again. And then as he's leaving, he tells the media, I'm glad I'm gone from Brooklyn I felt they disrespected me my entire stay here. (laughs) Holy cow. All the junk that you created and all the stuff that came out of your mouth and you felt disrespected in Brooklyn. So now he's Mark Cuban's problem, and we'll see. He's a a walk-free agent at the end of the season. It'll be interesting to see whether Dallas can re-sign him. Dallas was desperately trying to find another star to place alongside Luka Doncic, their superstar, who's a great, great player. I don't know if this guy's the right guy. And you might like him now, you might like him this weekend, but will you like him a month from now? Will you like him in, in the playoffs? Will you like him next year? I just think he's a chronic bad guy who's constantly unhappy. I don't think he's a great team player. He's great individual talent. That's my spin on Kyrie Irving. Now, are you going to shoot a three-pointer or are you going to shoot an inner ball?
1: Well, I mean, he's a basket case for a basketball player. And this guy thinks the earth is still flat. I mean, this he's ridiculous. So, I just think it's a, I mean, Cuban's taking a big risk here and people in Dallas, you know, Dallas is generally a pretty conservative city, you know, are they going to want to hear all of these antics from him? I mean, that could go, that that relationship with the fan base in Dallas could go south in a hurry. Um, But it just seems like Brooklyn is just sort of blowing everything up. Now Dallas, yeah, maybe they might make a run here. And now they got another superstar there. And then Luka is just tremendous. So can those two guys share the ball? Or do they have to always have the ball in their hand? That'll be a good question.
0: If that wasn't bad enough in Brooklyn, then Kevin Durant, who a year ago asked to be traded, and then they solved that problem, gets traded. And this came at 1 o'clock in the morning. Kevin Durant goes to the Phoenix Suns for four number one draft picks and two of their other top young players, Cam Johnson and Michael Bridges. I think this is a tremendous deal for the Brooklyn Nets to get four number ones. Now, they're not consecutive, they're all spread out. You can't trade back-to-back number one. So if you trade a number one in 23, then you can't trade another number one till 25 or 27 or 29, and that's how these picks have been spaced out. Kevin Durant's a tremendous talent. There are, there's an injury factor that seems to be building. He's got 100,000 miles on that body, but he goes in with Devin Booker, and he goes into a really good, well-coached team by Monty Williams. So Phoenix now becomes a player in the NBA Western Conference and Durant's got to stay healthy, really good player. But then again, Phoenix gets the end result of the wreckage that's left behind by everybody in Brooklyn.
1: Yeah, and think about Durant. I mean, he always seems to land on his feet, doesn't he? I mean, he was in Oklahoma City when they had, uh, when he was paired up with Westbrook. They went deep in the playoffs. He won a championship with Steph Curry in Golden State. That Brooklyn team was looking pretty exciting for a while, and now suddenly he's with Chris Paul. And, um, and put, Devin Booker. And Devin Booker. And what's the other guy's name? Andre, uh, uh, the big center. Uh, uh, DeAndre Ayton, I think is his name. So that's a
0: star team right there. I mean, they're going to be formidable coming into the playoffs. If, if KD can stay healthy and stay on the court. I, it, it's an instant hit for the new Suns owner. Down road, it helps Brooklyn. Now, Brooklyn's got all these assets now. Brooklyn burned through so much currency. Now they've gotten all those draft picks back, tons of cap space, but they got no team. They're not going to win for a while, for a long while. And will marquee free agents want to go to Brooklyn after what they saw these guys just go through and say, I want out? Uh, Really, uh, really interesting story there. Okay, we move on. Next topic on the table about the NBA.
1: Yeah, so there's been just so many different
0: trades here. So let's kind of look at the big board here. Well, there are 16 trades at the deadline, which is really significant. And obviously, we just walked through what the Lakers did. They get D'Angelo Russell. They make the trade. They get Mo Bamba from uh, uh, Orlando. Uh, they get Devin Reed uh, as part of this uh, trade they made in Denver. They get Malik Beasley as part of the Utah trade. So the Lakers have been really, really active. Now, on the other side of the Crypto.com arena, (laughs) how about the L.A. Clippers? And this this was really a surprise. I mean, they moved a lot of veterans off their roster right at 12 noon as they were getting ready to close the trade window. And the Clippers go out and get a three-point shooter in Bones Highland from Denver who had fallen from disfavor. But he... He really had a good year-and-a-half run with the Denver Nuggets. And then they get Eric Gordon, vested veteran. He's a three-point wing player. He's bounced around the league. He's been with the Houston Rockets, but he can put it in the hole. Mason Plumlee is a seven-foot center who's going to be a good backup to Zubak, the starting center uh, of the Clippers, and he's a rebounder. I mean, you can get a guy that averages seven and seven coming off the bench. It's not a bad acquisition. Better better than what they had. Uh Now, other trades. Toronto, uh, they didn't trade any other guards, and they were expected to make deals, did not. They went out and got the seven-foot young center, who's about to be a free agent from San Antonio, Jacob Pouetli. Not a bad player. Portland got a really good defender, wing player. I was kind of surprised Philadelphia traded Matisse Thibault. Uh, Detroit. They get one of the monumental busts. Golden State gave up on James Wiseman. He was a 7-1 center that came out of the University of Memphis and, and Penny Hardaway and couldn't stay healthy, and when he played, he didn't play well. And Golden State said, no mas. so they trade him to Detroit. So the Pistons, maybe they got something good or maybe they got somebody who has, has failed. And in Milwaukee, which has got Giannis, doesn't need a heck of a lot. So they go out and get a street tough guy uh, in Jay Crowder, who's a real grinder banger. And we saw what Crowder did in Phoenix. And before that, we did it in Boston. So I, I think that's kind of a unique acquisition, but a guy that's got pretty good track record. Response to sixteen trades, John. <laughs> sixteen trades. I mean, this is just crazy. I mean, this is a, an
1: amazing day. I love trade deadline time. You know, it's just a lot of fun. All of a sudden, there's a shuffling of the deck. Some teams kind of move up in contention. Some teams take a step back. Um, I like seeing both the LA teams making a lot of moves uh, because they both need to get in better position. Denver looks awfully good this year in the West. So, um, and, you know, with all those number one picks that uh, Brooklyn has now, I bet Jeannie Buss is on the phone. You know, let me see if we can get pick up some more of those draft picks. The Lakers are desperate. They need
0: to do something. Well, I think, I think the Lakers are in huge long term down road trouble. I'll tell you what, the Clippers got in terms of firepower to complement. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. I, I'm pretty impressed. Steve Ballmer just put the money on the table and said, okay, these are the guys they want. Now, if you're asking who they get rid of, let's look at the list here of the guys who got got moved here at the deadline. Westbrook, of course, goes to Utah. Uh, Thomas Bryant was traded to Denver, the big center. He was adequate. He wasn't a difference maker, but he was adequate. A little bit surprised they gave up on Patrick Beverly. He went to Orlando in the Mobemba trade. But Beverly might have worn out his welcome. You know, he he's kind of high-octane, high-maintenance. kind of. I think he wears you out emotionally. <laughs> uh, in terms of the Clippers, uh, they say goodbye to Reggie Jackson. He went to the Charlotte Bobcats in the Plumlee trade. He had a really great season last year, but has not been able to duplicate it again this year. They gave up on John Wall, and they're sending John Wall back to Houston in the Eric Gordon trade. Houston got rid of Wall last year. Wall didn't play last year. They didn't want him. So he said, I'll sit out the season, you try to work a deal. So they shipped him to the Clippers, and he was in and out of the lineup and in and out of the doghouse. So I sent him back to Houston, and then they flipped uh, Luke Kennard, uh, the three-point shooter, to Memphis. So chemistry change, obviously, I, I think with the Clippers and just – Moving the the chairs in the Titanic as it relates to the Lakers. If I'm wrong, yell at me. <laughs> no, this is good stuff because
1: we thought that Patrick Beverly was going to be kind of a um, a pest, right? He was going to be one of those role players that could, you know, fill in the gaps, you know, between LeBron and AD and Westbrook. So he gets jettisoned out. I was really intrigued when the Clippers got John Wall because he had a really good run in Washington for the Wizards. And I thought, man, this guy could be a really great piece, but he was out of the league for a while. So um, it's just it's just interesting how these teams make bold moves. And a lot of this has salary capital implications at every step of the way.
0: True. And I think it's intriguing to me. Nobody will talk about it. Are they trading for talent or are they just trading to get out of bad contracts and create cap space? I some of these deals. I mean, that's that's what this is all about. Now you see, after the trade deadline, I traded for this guy, and I'm going to buy him out, and he can leave on the street corner, and we'll get the salary cap break uh, a year from now. So it's it's fascinating to watch. Now the other big story is what happened in Los Angeles the other night, and we've seen some great moments and great events in the NBA. John, we're talking about King James ascending to the throne as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. And I tried to think back as I watched, and it was so electric. Every time he touched the ball, the fans were waiting for something spectacular. Is it going to be a long three-point shot? Is it going to be a drive to the bucket? Is it going to be a slam dunk? Is it going to be a reverse pivot fadeaway jump shot? He put on a show as he passed Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer. And then they stopped the game. And It's absolute bedlam in the arena, and here comes Kareem off the courtside seat with the basketball. And here's the commissioner Adam Silver. I mean, it was he was electric. And in this building, this is what Laker basketball is all about: events. LeBron, Kobe's sixty points in his final game. Kobe's eighty-one point game. Magic Johnson doing what he did in Showtime. Prior to that, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Wilt Chamberlain. Holy cow! That's the heritage, the royalty of Laker basketball. And he's there's no doubt that he's a great player. And you know what? He's not just a great scorer. He's fourth in the league in assist all time. All time. And at age thirty-eight, playing the kind of minutes he's playing, and there's no let up, he gets dinged, he takes a night off, he comes back and just plays with more passion. He's averaging thirty points a game as a thirty-eight-year-old player. It's To me, it's just phenomenal to watch who he is. And he's done so much in business in L.A. with his film production company. He's done so much in social media causes. And he's done, back in his hometown of Akron, Ohio, he privately financed a charter school in Akron for disadvantaged kids. So, I mean, he is just one spectacular player
1: and person. And yet people hate on him. You know, so I I don't get that Um, now that it was a it was a great event, like you said. And then all the celebrities were there. I think Jay-Z was there and Bad Bunny and everyone's got the courtside seats. And and it was a lot of fun. It was a great it was a great moment. But the stat that blows me away more than anything is that if you played for 20 years in the NBA and you played in all 82 games and you score 20 points a game, 82 games, 20 years, you would still be 5,000 points less than the than the record that LeBron has now. Yeah. And think about this.
0: Plays two more years, and if he continues to play at this level, how many points are you going to wind up? I mean, his whole theory is I'd like to play so I could play with my son, Bronny, when he's eligible to file for the NBA draft two years out. Uh, what a spectacular human being. And... I, I will say this there is history here that you talk about people don't like him there is history here who he was and how he mm-hmm. acted the first time around with the Cleveland Cavaliers and seemed to be an awful lot of resentment about the the press conference the whole world watched him taking my talents to South Beach in Miami mm-hmm. and he goes back to Cleveland and then he comes comes out here uh in the in, in the deal with the Lakers so there's there's a l- probably a little historical prejudice but we don't see I don't think we're going to see this ever Ever again, nobody ever thought, would see Jabbar's record broken, it took one superman to do it. That guy. Who, in your opinion, are the top
1: five NBA players of all time?
0: It's hard because the eras were so different. For him to do what he's doing in, in the current NBA, which is so athletic with so many explosive guys, and the contact, it's a much more physical NBA game now than it's ever been before. For him to accomplish that? just absolutely stunning but it's it's hard i don't really get into the arguments the greatest of all time because you know i asked the question on my website who's the greatest laker of all time Mm -hmm. he finished last in the voting now maybe that's because he's not really a quote true laker he kind of came here after going other places Mm -hmm. but you know the, the the preponderance of people are of the opinion it's kobe and then it's magic and then it's kareem oddly enough jerry west and then him He was ranked fifth from all the people who took part in my mini-poll on my website. So, but I don't it it's tough it's tough to compare this era versus the mid-era to the Bill Russell back in the day era.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's incredible what he's accomplished as as a player because he came into the league how old was he? 18, 19 years right. old At, right out of Akron St. Vincent St. Mary. And he was competing with grown men and, and and kicking their butts up and down the court. I mean, this guy is incredible. So, and then to see him, you know, a few nights ago set that record and just Just dominate the game. I mean, he it was like the other team. There were playthings. I mean, he just scored at will. Hits that fadeaway shot. I'm sure we're going to see those, yeah, that video replay over and over again. You know, I think you've got
0: you can make a very big case, a good case, that LeBron is the GOAT. Could be modern time, yes, but in terms of the history of the NBA with all the great players of yesteryear. We don't have enough time to argue about that. Let's move (laughs) on. Next topic on the table. Do you want to talk a little college basketball here?
1: Okay. So, um, yeah, we do. So
0: we got to find... San Diego State. Yes. Utah State. Um, I don't know if the Aztecs are living on borrowed time or not. San Diego State had a 16-point lead, jumped out early on Utah State, did it with some unbelievable defense uh, down inside on their bigs, and and then they fell apart. And then suddenly Utah State started to hit shots, and Utah State wiped out a 16-point deficit, got the thing to within one, and had possession at the end of the game, had two shots in the final two seconds. And San Diego State's defense closed them off, and they won it. I, I, it's impressive to me that the Aztecs have gone 19-5, and five, but it's been a scuffle to go 19-5. and five. But let's let's give them credit. They're doing it on the road. They have beaten all these guys on the road, where the toughest places to play in the conference. And one of the reasons I think the Mountain West has become such a really good basketball conference is the transfer portal. Everybody's got talent, John. Everybody wants to go play immediately. So now I will look at playing at Colorado State, or i where's Logan Utah? I'll go play for the Aggies because I can play immediately. I think the transfer portal. Has changed the whole conference, and now you got you got five teams at the top that are all pretty good. Only concern I have about the Aztecs, and it doesn't sound right to say, how can you be critical? They're nineteen and five. Their offense is really spotty. You just never know what you're going to get from the three guards on a night-to-night basis. You know, Matt Matt Campbell had a great uh, Matt Bradley had a great first half at Utah State, and then kind of really disappeared, gotten absolutely nothing uh, from from. The other two guards, I mean, Butler has just struggled with any form of consistency and and the same thing happened uh to the the transfer guard from Seattle. so they're not a complete team right now, but they are finding ways to win in the most hostile environments, which to me sounds like this is it's a formula that they'll grind their way to victories. It might not be what it's used to be but when they play a neutral court in a tournament in Las Vegas. There is no home court advantage for anybody, so I think San Diego State will excel. So, But for them to win, for them to win at Utah State in just a brutal environment, that was pretty impressive.
1: I mean, that game last night, I was exhausted at the end of the game because— they had all the problems with the play clock. You know, the shot clock kept going. Out. I think it went out four different times. Yeah, you had the technical foul crisis. Yeah, there were yeah there were five technicals. Three guys got ejected, including Darian Tramel, who according to I went to the ksl.com dot com website for Salt Lake, and they said that. Um, Trimmel, like had an under the belt, below the belt like cheap shot, and that's what triggered it. But you go back and look at the video, you don't
0: see any of that. Well, I didn't see the cheap shot. I saw the shove as they were arguing. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, you, you, you just have to control your emotion in a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. And that was really hostile because those fans up at Utah State are as crazy as the show oh, yeah. down here. I mean, it was electric. But you just have to draw the line. I don't care what happens, who says what. I'm not stepping over the line to get myself ejected. It could have cost them the game. But Matt Bradley came back and saved him. The the bigs really played well defensively that saved him. So I I just think the Aztecs, although it's not pretty, they just continue to win these games in really tough road environments. And this started way back in the non-conference schedule early when they were in Maui. Mm -hmm. Those were really rugged games to play against highly rated Arizona and what they did in the fist fight with Arkansas and all that. So Aztecs are playing well. They're not playing as a complete team, but they're gonna they're gonna get it done. They'll be in the NCAA and they'll be seated and then we'll see as as you know February turns to March what they can do when the curtain goes up on March Madness.
1: Yeah, Jaden Ledee looked really good last night too. He had a double double if I recall. And um you know they're bigs. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Mensa didn't really you know he had a great night against um was a couple a couple of games ago yeah. he was terrific but then last night he kind of disappeared so the lake i mean the the Aztecs always seem to find a way you know it's a different guy steps up or it's a rebounding night or they get on the you know get the offensive boards it's always something different each night and I think that's a recipe for success when they get to the postseason
0: especially when you're not playing on a hostile environment you mm-hmm. play a neutral courts it, it'll be just a very very different atmosphere okay from basketball let's go to baseball because we've got some late breaking stories here oh yeah so um, so you darvish. Just I mean came out of nowhere this
1: deal, which just shocked me. Um, so he he gets extended. Peter
0: Seidler's checkbook seems to be endless. Well, it's opened again, and what they've done is and there's 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 a subliminal story here that, that is part of this. It's it's signing Darvish to an extension now at his age. Wow, final year of that contract. He'll be forty two. I don't know physically what he's going to be like at forty two. But what they did was they took what was left this year, they folded it into this extension. They gave them five years added on. So it's a six-year, 108 deal. What it does, though, it takes the average salary from $21 million down to $18, mm. 18 million, And that's what is counted against the luxury tax. Oh, nice. So the Padres, by virtue of getting $3 million clearance with the restructure used contract, are going to fall below that, that second threshold for the time being. We'll see if that changes. But six-year contract for a pitcher of that age, now he's only had one major injury problem his whole career, and that goes back years with the elbow. Uh, or maybe you know maybe they're not worried about what years four, five, and six might be like. They got him for value. I mean, think of what Max Schurzer got with the Mets. Think about what Justin Verlander just got with the Mets. And they're a little bit older than him, and they they got him, but they had to commit six years to do it. So it's Peter's money. I'm not going to argue with him. Uh, Hopefully, Darvish will stay healthy for at least the next three years. But now they're underneath the threshold, which I think is one of the subliminal reasons that they did this. I don't know what they're going to do with Blake Snell because he's the next free agent that's out there. I think he's got to pitch, and he's got to prove he can pitch consistently over a whole season, not the back three months of the schedule. I don't know whether they're going to keep him or not, but Dorvish is locked up. Your
1: reaction? I mean, I was blown away when I saw this news. And I I was listening, actually, uh, to 97.3, the fan, and Chris Ello had a good line. He said um, about the only thing that the Padres haven't done is trade for Kevin Durant. I mean, they seem to be signing everybody, (laughs) trading everybody. This is the golden era, the golden age of Padre baseball. Um, you know, but we're all still waiting to find out. Are they going to step up and sign Manny? Are they going to sign Soto? Can they get one of those two deals done before the season starts? It seems like anything is possible.
0: My gut feel is they don't get these deals done because I think the players think they owe it to themselves to go out on the marketplace and examine uh, what's out there. But you know, it may it may well be they they'd be willing to give Marchardo a forty million dollar a year deal. I do not think Scott Boros is going to allow Soto to sign anywhere. Boros will try to have him become the first $50 million man mm-hmm. at the end of the 2024 season. And then then you just see what happens. Uh, things change. I mean, if Soto hits two thirty two again this year in San Diego after a real substandard season last year with Washington and the Padres, then his value may not be what the agent is cranking it up to be. But I think they'll try to get Machado signed to an extension. Does Manny want to do it? Is, is Manny a mercenary or is Manny going to stay here and really be loyal to the Padres and get a, a pay bump along the way? Fascinating going forward, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you look at Manny's situation, it's interesting because he is still persona non grata in a lot of cities around Major League Baseball. I always worry that he could eventually sign with Miami. You know, because that's his hometown team. Go back home, play the, finish his career there. But I think Manny understands and respects San Diego, knows that the Seidler family, the, the, the Padre fan base, just love Manny Machado. Why would he ever leave? And I think he understands that. So I'm hopeful they're going to work out a deal.
0: He'd never go to Miami because Bruce Sherman, the owner, is historically cheap he's going to lowest payrolls in baseball I don't care if it's Manny Machado or whomever he's not going to pay somebody $40 million because the Miami Marlins have never ever done that they're one of the disgraces in Major League Baseball. Speaking of Padre baseball, uh, pitchers and catchers report as soon as Super Bowl Sunday is over. So on Monday, the guys start rolling into the Cactus League, and there's a lot of questions as we go towards the Padres in the opening of spring training. Pitchers and catchers report uh, the first week, and about 10 days after that, the rest of the, the full roster uh, reports. Who is the fourth and who is the fifth starter? Huge question. My gut feel right now, it's probably going to be Adrian Morion. Uh, will be one and I think Seth Lugo is probably going to be the other uh you know in the background is is the journeyman pitcher from the Atlanta Braves once upon a time was pretty good Julio Teheran I don't know what's going to become orion Ryan Weathers that'll only be decided as they go through these exhibition games in the Cactus League so we'll have to see who is four who is five and where does the depth come everybody tells me Tatis right field Soto going to left field uh, Soto, I think, likes the idea of playing in left. It's a lot less complicated and a lot less space. I mean, I see you. You bump around to stuff in the kitchen all the time. Imagine playing right field at Petco Park with the walls that jut in and jut out and the the balls bouncing off the walls at weird angles. So I I think Tatis will have to teach himself to deal with. With that environment, that venue, and just like Soto's got to teach himself uh, to hit again, but I think Soto probably will like left field. And he played left field as he came through the Washington Nationals farm system. Uh, they paid an enormous amount of money to the catcher, Luis Campusano years ago. He has not arrived yet as a finished product. He will get his opportunity. Uh, it's time. I mean, he can, he's done a good job improving the mechanics of catching behind the plate, handling pitchers, communicating with pitchers has really yet to show he can hit consistently at the major league level your starting first baseman will be Jake Cronenworth, can he bounce back from what I thought was kind of a downsided offensive season, I have no doubt that he'll work hard the only unique thing about him he's undersized to be a first baseman usually your first baseman are 6'2", 6'3", Will Myers 6'5", uh, he's going to have to go up the ladder to get some high throws. That's going to be intriguing to see if he can actually accomplish all that. And the mystery question, nobody's talked about it. They paid a lot of money to Drew Pomeranz three years ago. I didn't understand why, uh, because Pomeranz has had such a history of injuries. Uh, San Diego, Boston, Milwaukee with the elbow. And nobody's talking about where he is on the rehab trail. Is he 100% back? Is he going to be the kind of guy you're going to have as a setup guy uh, to maybe Josh Hader? Nobody's talking at all about Drew Pomerantz. I think that's one of the questions out there because they they sure did write a fairly decent-sized check to get him after after the deals to Boston and Milwaukee. So those are some of the stories that will start the minute they uh, end the Super Bowl. Pottery Baseball starts the absolute next day. Wow. So so we've got a lot of topics on the table to talk about. We'll do all that through February into March in the Cactus League.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, the the fans are so excited about the team. You know, FanFest was just a, a nut house. So this is going to be terrific. I think Nick Martinez... Really, really wants to be a starter, and he's going to put everything on the table to get that number four slot. So I think he's intriguing. More home makes a lot of sense as one of those guys too. I mean, he was they signed him for what an eleven million dollar deal back in the day, and paid an additional eleven million on the luxury tax, you know, for the penalties and everything else. So I think More Home can do it. The only question is, is does he have the stamina to go? you know, a full season or even half of a season. But I just love all of these question marks because remember you roll the clock back like eight years ago, 12 years ago, we were asking very different questions of the Padres. And now suddenly we've got a lot of good answers for most of these questions.
0: Well, because of established stars, I, I remember years upon years when I would go with my talk show on 690 and then 1090 to to the Cactus League and the Padres Spring Training Camp and everybody would talk about Chase Headley. He's the only guy that came out of the farm system. Yeah. He was the only guy they talked about. As mm-hmm. if he was going to lead them to the World Series. He was a good established major league player. Mm-hmm. But now we're talking about superstars and free agent signings and contract extensions and big money. Boku buck money. So it's different. Just the whole environment of San Diego Padre baseball has changed. I, I recall one year everybody was excited because here came Chase Headley, Will Venable, and Nick Huntley. And that was supposed to be the future going forward. Yeah. And yeah, they had those guys were established, credible, decent major leaguers, but they were not stars. Jake Peavy was rock solid, but he was not a superstar, mm-hmm. even though he did win a Cy Young Award. So uh, it, it's fascinating just to see how the environment around Padre baseball has, has turned. And every, somebody asked me, one of the national media guys asked me last week when I was on Sirius XM. They, they, they just asked me, have you ever seen it like this? And I said, well, Padres have always had support. It always built during the season if they were good. You know, but when we started the years with Caminetti and Finley and Kevin Brown and those guys, it was not as if we were going to be a World Series team, but it built towards that mm-hmm. all wrapped around Tony Gwynn. I said, I have never seen Excitement or anticipation, as we're seeing right now down at Petco Park. So it's it's really cool for the community.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is just a great time to be a baseball fan in San Diego. There's no other professional or primetime professional sport in San Diego. So all the focus is around the Padres. But you know what? they they got a lot of pressure now. I mean, they're expected (laughs) to make the World Series, if not win it. And if something goes wrong, something goes sideways, it's going to be a difficult
0: time for Padre fans. So If they don't get it done in the next two years, then they won't be able to get it done. Because if Manny leaves, if Soto leaves, and that's realistic, then everything changes. And so if there's going to be a World Series game at Petco Park this time around, it's got to come in the next two calendar years. Final topic on the table. Boy, is this controversial. Maybe not here in the States, but we do have a lot of soccer followers. This is something significant. Manchester City might be facing expulsion from the English Premier League. Uh, They have done a long-term investigation. They have come up with 101 violations by Manchester City in the EPL of the, quote, fair play rule. Lee, what's that? Says John. (laughs) Fair play rule is like the salary cap. It governs the amount of revenue you take in. It governs how much you spend on player acquisitions and transfer fees. What they have uncovered is that Manchester City did under-the-table financial marketing deals with star players. We will purchase your contract and you will get $38 million from us. Oh, but under the table, there's a second contract, a marketing contract, that might provide another $23 million to the player. So all this stuff has happened. There were alleged kickbacks to agents of foreign players who delivered them in the transfer era. They've got documentation about that. Manchester City is owned by a Saudi group. They refused to cooperate, but the agents who got cornered turned over documents. Other teams who had access to information in the English Premier League turned over documents and turned them in. Manchester City is in a world of hurt, and it's one of the elite teams in the EPL. They could be stripped of a lot of points this year which would knock them down the table, down the standings. They could be banned from playing in the club tournaments, which make enormous amounts of money. Euphia, the Champions League, and all that. They could be expelled from the English Premier League and relegated. Think about that. Relegated out of the 20-team league and sent to a lower division on some type of probation period. Story's not not over yet. We have to see what the sanctions are going to be. But this is pretty significant. This would be like mega violation of baseball's luxury tax with under-the-table stuff. This is like violations of the NFL and the and the salary cap. This is really serious stuff over there, there being the English Premier League.
1: Yeah, this is amazing news. And you think about Manchester City, because if you roll the clock back 10, 20 years, this was a— a team at the bottom of the league. I mean, it was not a very impressive. And you know, Man, Man Manchester United was the dominant team in that town, but the Man City has just become stronger and better. Has built this fan base, um, and to see that a lot of this might have been you know shenanigans on the side is really disappointing. So hopefully they do a thorough investigation of this um, because you, you can't you you we well, have a set of rules like this to try to have. You know, not necessarily parity in the league, but you want to have everyone working from the same playbook, the same set of rules, so it can be as competitive as possible. So you look at Man City, all those championships they've had over the last few years,
0: are they tainted? Would they be removed? I mean, this is a lot more coming. Well, the first thing that came to mind when this story broke the uh, end of last week was, and we've talked about him, the Manchester City star from Norway, Erling Holland. Oh, yeah. He's got 31 goals. He's on a track to become the all-time single-season goal scorer in the English Premier League. And now the question is, when you see star talent like that that suddenly shows up, how did they get him? What did they do to get him? Mm. What did they pay to get him? I have a hard time believing the English Premier League would relegate him and knock him out of the league. But there are so many violations, so many major violations, and the fact that the Saudi ownership refused to cooperate— Stay tuned. There's a lot more to come on that story. Okay, John, it's time for Fans Forum. And I just want to remind everybody that enjoys our Thursday podcast, we do Monday bonus podcast. Please join us on Monday for our Super Bowl recap. Also, uh, please check my website. I write on it every day. And then text, message, tweet, email your friends who are sports fans, and tell them about our podcast on YouTube And tell them about my website, com. We don't have too many people who are standing in in line in queue to want to ask us a question, but go ahead. We'll try to run through a few. John, start. Yeah, there's just a
1: ton of them right here. So uh, let's take a look at... Uh, Yeah, here. This is from Ryan Kennedy. And he says, surprise, Elgin Baylor doesn't get uh, as much talk when it comes to Lakers all-time greats. If ESPN was around when he was playing, I think he'd be a lot higher up on the pecking order. Or maybe a lot of people remember him being the GM
0: for decades with the Clippers under Donald Sterling. Yeah, I think he's kind of tainted because of the end of his career in that situation. Uh, But I think the modern-day fans of today don't pay much attention to what, what preceded today's stars, and you are correct. I mean, Elgin Baylor It's like Oscar Robertson, the big O, and Oscar Robertson was a tremendous player. It's just a different era. I don't think Elgin, though, is held in the same regard that Jerry West was, but then Jerry West no longer is held in the same regard because here came Magic Johnson, and that begat Kobe, and that brought a Shaq, and then obviously King James. So now you are correct. I mean, he was a legendary, legendary player, but now if you sat down, Ryan, and wrote down the stars who've worn the purple and gold— the ledger of royalty or Laker basketball, John, it's absolutely phenomenal. Going back to George Mike and back in the day when they moved from Minneapolis. Yeah, it's
1: unbelievable. I mean, it's there's so many great players that have worn that uniform. Elgin Baylor, yeah. I think of Elgin Baylor. Wasn't he in those old, like, Miller Lite commercials? Yes. You know, and, and you know, Happy Hairston was spinning the ball. it's was like up in the air. Those was great stuff here. But there's another comment here from a Laker fan. This is from Dale Tums. And he says, Kareem is the greatest.
0: And as something James doesn't, humility. Well, Kareem was was reclusive, quiet, introverted to a degree. You know, but that's a different era. That's before you had ESPN. That's before social on social (laughs) media. That's before the Internet. Uh, If Kareem were the star today, he'd probably be getting accolades, and the spotlight would always be on him. Uh, But just different persona. But I I will say this, Kareem and Bill Russell— might have been the first two great African Americans who spoke out on social media issues of the day. Mm-hmm. LeBron does now, and a number of other NBA guys do. Uh, but I, I think that those were the first two great ones who stood up and said, this is not right. This has to change. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it, there's so many special players here. I mean, I, I just love seeing Kareem at that event, you know, when he, like you say, when he passed the ball off. And I know they've had a little friction, those two, you know, about talking about COVID and masks and other things. Um, I have great respect for Kareem. I mean, it's the more I learned about him as a uh, retired athlete. I mean, he's a very special man. Uh, So he's the captain, too. I mean, you got to give him up for that. But God, I mean, the Lakers history, how many teams in pro sports have that many guys? I mean, maybe the Yankees, I mean. It's unbelievable. Well, in the NBA, somebody
0: wearing green in Boston would probably yell at you yeah, and say, "Yeah, we were pretty, pretty good during the Red Auerbach era." Okay, let's move on to the next question and our fans forum. Where do you want to go? Okay, so we got a bunch
1: of YouTube comments here, and this is this is a good one here from Tractors and Nonsense, and he's and he's talking about you know Sean Payton, I am the law. You know when he <laughs> wrote, the, uh, wrote it down there. I knew this Denver. was coming. Is this the same coach that sat out a season because he broke someone else's law?
0: Yeah, you're correct I mean he was the head coach and head coaches are responsible for everything and he was there uh, during Bounty Gate and all that although it was really devised by his defensive coordinator Greg Williams but he sat out he came back he won again Uh, he's I think he's probably been forgiven uh, by virtue of all that it's going to be fun to see what they do in the offseason his his press conferences you know I am the law I mean he just really strong about my team my way, my philosophy. Uh, but yet he's spoken out tremendously about Russell Wilson. Uh, and his unique comment today uh, at the Super Bowl was there are a lot of people in this organization who have dirt on their hands. Mm-hmm. This was not Russell Wilson's fault this team went 5-12. and 12. Uh-huh. So I could see him at a team meeting stand up and hand out bars of ivory soap to everybody, <laughs> you have dirt on your hands, the reason we went 5-12. and 12. It's going to be fascinating to see once we get to free agency the first week of March, because I think he's going to be a magnet for free agents, and that ownership wants to spend, and they got cap space to spend because they had such a young team. It'd be interesting to see what other players land on board. but Yeah. He committed a sin. He went to confession, and now he's the coach of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, he, he is.
1: I mean, what just crazy stories going on? Here's another one. Um, talk about Air Coryell getting in the Hall of Fame. And this is from M. Allen. He says, it's ridiculous that he was not inducted when he was alive. His offensive strategies, formations and plays are in every NFL game. His time as a coach was not long, but it was very impactful and it dominated. The Hall of Fame for, uh, for the forgotten needs to be created. And now ask Hall of Famer Charlie Joyner if the coach is deserving. The Chargers in the Hall need to lean on their brothers. And guess what? I'm a Raiders fan from way back.
0: Well, I will, I will tell you this. The structure of voting for the Hall of Fame has changed. When Don Coryell's name was out there for six to eight years, it was just a list of 15, and he made the final 15. But now the structure has changed. You've got the current players. You've got the players of yesteryear. And now you have what they call, I guess it's the contributor class. And that's where Don Coryell's name now falls in, contributor class as a coach. There's no doubt the creative genius of what he was. I mean, I I think back, the greatest football mind of yesteryear was Paul Brown, Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, film, video study, draft, etc. He created what the NFL was about to become. More modern day, the entire operation of the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise, who they are, who owns them, whom they hire, who they keep, and just how they progress down the road uh, with all the Super Bowl victories. And obviously... The Raiders have to be part of that equation. But Don kind of fell under a different umbrella because he only won 111 games over the course of his NFL career. He had a sub-500 playoff record, never, ever got the Chargers as great as they were for that four- or five-year window to the Super Bowl. And I think people kind of looked and, and held that against him. But I think from the creative standpoint, uh, as as a contributor class member, yeah. I, I think Don Coryell Hall of Fame means an awful lot of sense to an awful lot of people. Yeah, I mean, think
1: of his coaching tree, too. I mean, John Madden, um, Joe Gibbs. I mean, a lot of guys uh, are from the Coryell playbook. And I think you could even say that Bill Walsh kind of built on a little bit mm-hmm. of what Coryell did uh, in the 70s. Bill Walsh brought some of that to the 80s in that short passing game. Um, this guy is legit. He needs to get in,
0: but this may be his last shot. Exactly. Any more questions there you want to throw at me here before you put a lid on this one?
1: Yeah, we got a good one here. This is kind of a long one, but I think this was a great question from 44Ron73 talking about the Texans and should they draft a quarterback? And he says, I personally would go defense first because in my unprofessional opinion, these quarterbacks are... Aren't it, you know, it's talking about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, Um, either too thin, too small, too inaccurate or too jumpy in the pocket. Get the defense up to speed. And I mean speed. Then draft a few offensive players. The Niners beat teams up and down with their defense. Um, Our defense could be that and probably more if we pick in the draft right. Get Carter and scare the crap out of the AFC South. Look at the Jags defense defense. That's what we have to compete with for the next couple of
0: years. Agree. It is also a top-heavy draft. What Houston could do at number 2 is trade back. Now, they'd have to be convinced that they're not sure that Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are the real deal, because those are the names at the top of the draft board. You could trade back stockpile picks and go get offensive linemen and go get defensive players. But in this league, last I checked, you still need a quarterback. You mm-hmm. really need a quarterback. You know, my favorite phrase in the National Football League is if you got a quarterback, good for you. And if you don't have a quarterback, you better go find one. So it'll be up to this administration uh, with, with the new coach uh, for D'Amico Ryans and that group of scouts and that general manager, Nick Casario, to evaluate. Alabama quarterback evaluate the Ohio State quarterback are they the right guy how fast along can you bring them so you're better to take a quarterback and groom them because you sure don't have one now you had an anemic offense or is it better just to stockpile linemen it's not sexy to take tackles or defensive linemen or linebackers and just build it defensively but you still got to have offense to be able to compete in the league because if you can't bloody score the best you get is a ten nothing shutout, and you still lose no matter how good or how hard your defense plays. That's one man's opinion, yours. Well, think about this. I mean, they, I mean, they had a chance, you know, to to really have
1: that number one pick, but they, darn it, they went out there and won the last game of the year. And so I know a lot of Texan fans were upset about it. I think you got to take a quarterback. I mean, you just gotta, um, especially to satisfy your fan base, the ticket, you know, season ticket holders. Um, I, if it's up to me, I'm going for the kid from Alabama.
0: He's a winner, there's no doubt about it. C.J. Stroud, to me, lost a little luster. From the middle of the season on through the end, Ohio State had the two bad setbacks at the end of the campaign. Uh, after he lost his running backs, he just didn't seem to be the same quarterback. But that's why you go through pro day. That's why you will go to the combines. That's why you will have the private meetings, and then you'll be able to bring them in and talk to them specifically and put stuff up on the on the whiteboard. It'll be fascinating. But we'll talk more draft once we get beyond Super Bowl Sunday. John? Before we wrap it up, I'm going to ask you to pick them, pal. You got Philadelphia, you got Kansas City. Give me a score. Who is going to win and why?
1: You know, I've been thinking about all this is that I just love what Andy Reid does, his playbook, and, you know, some of the creative things that he can do. But darn it, the Eagles are just so dominating. I mean, they're just going to come in, like you say, in the trenches, and they're just going to bulldoze you. They're going to knock you over. I, I'm impressed with Jalen Hurts. I'm going with the Eagles. And I say this is going to be a 27-21 to 21 game.
0: Not a bad call. Uh, I like Andy Reid. I love watching Mahomes. There's no doubt there's a lot of creative juice wearing red for Kansas City. But at the end of the day, I think I'm picking the guys. We're green. I'll say 29-23 Philadelphia. I think it's going to be a real fun Super Bowl hey hope you've enjoyed our extended Thursday podcast we are here every Thursday we do bonus coverage we'll be back on Monday for our Super Bowl recap and then we'll turn the page and we'll go to spring training and then we got the draft to talk about there's always topics on the table hope you enjoyed our coverage of the NFL what we did on NBA trade deadline day the news and notes in baseball as well as soccer John, have yourself a great Super Bowl weekend. We'll be back here in our San Diego studios on Monday.
1: It's going to be a fantastic weekend. This is a, like a national holiday. So, Hope
0: you enjoy our podcast. Please check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. And I want you to text and I want you to tweet and I want you to email all your friends and introduce them to what we're doing on our YouTube channel and what we're doing on my website. Have yourself a great sports weekend. Thanks for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaw's headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com.